Hey everyone, welcome to The Orchard Podcast with Amy Hughes and Rachel Hughes. We hope this episode encourages and inspires you today. Well, hello and welcome to The Orchard Podcast. Orchard. <laughs> the Orchard Podcast. Very good enunciation. Uh, um, you are listening to Series 4. Still can't believe we're in Series 4, uh-huh. uh, but we are still enjoying it, even though we're cold uh, again in this room. We are enjoying We love these times. Mm. Uh, but we are in Series 4, uh, as we said last week, continuing to look at the women of the story. There are so many to get through. There are more. More women, women of the story. story. Exactly. Um, and so we looked at uh, the midwives uh, last week. Um, or last month, um, and today, Rach, who are we talking about? So, yeah, essentially it was sort of part one last week, wasn't it? Because we decided that to try and do Miriam and the, Wid- uh, Miriam and the Midwives <laughs> in one episode was going to be tricky. So we split it up. Midwives last week, not last week, we keep saying last week, last know, month. month. Maybe we need to do this every week. <laughs> it's we just, prophetic. Oh, <laughs> we just need a little bit more time yeah. to do that. Um, and so this week we're looking at Miriam. And we see Miriam pop up three times in the Old Testament, in Exodus 2, in Exodus 15, and then in Numbers 12. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and so we've kind of divided it into those three sections. What do we learn about her? What do we learn about mm. God? And what do we learn about ourselves? Essentially, loosely following that three theme through those three parts. So we're going to jump into Exodus 2. And this is probably the most famous Miriam moment. And she's a child at this point. Uh, and... Google very helpfully (laughs) tells us the general consensus is that she was probably only about five or seven Mm. at this moment. So, So again, background is Pharaoh, the Egyptian leader, is like this crazy, very um, despotic leader. And uh, the, the thank you. <laughs> oh. The Israelites are in slavery. The Israelites are God's chosen people. They're in slavery, mm. uh, and essentially Pharaoh is really threatened by them, even though they're in slavery. And so he's put out this decree to for all the baby boys to be to be murdered. I yeah. mean, it's an yeah. awful thought, actually, yeah. isn't it? Absolutely yeah. mm. awful thought. And Miriam's mum uh, is pregnant has a baby, a baby boy, and like probably all the Hebrew women at that point, does not want to lose her boy. And so she comes up with this plan to essentially she wraps him up, pops him in a basket Mm. and sends him down the river. Um, Again, very famous story. And Miriam, the older sister, who we think is about five or seven years older than him at this point, Mm. she's sort of watching on to see what happens. And of course, what happens is Pharaoh's daughter is bathing down at the river, discovers this basket, the little baby boy inside. Her her heart goes out to him. She scoops him up and she's looking around trying to figure out what to do. And there's Miriam there, ready and waiting for this moment, it Mm. seems, Mm. even though she's so young. Going to come on to that. Mm. And Miriam pipes up, oh, would you like a Hebrew woman to look after this little boy? Yeah. And the the, the fairy's daughter says, yes, please. So Miriam goes and gets her mum, Moses' mum, to care for this little child. And then that's how Moses ends up in Pharaoh's household. And of course, the story continues. And yeah. the Exodus narrative is absolutely key to this whole overarching story of God. So there again, we see Miriam, this five, six, seven-year-old girl playing an absolutely yeah instrumental part Mm -hmm. in the overarching redemption story of God. I mean, that in itself is bananas, isn't it? And even before we dive in, are we going to say Yeah, no, go for it. Even before we dive in, I 
I guess it's the, I, when you even hear it, saying it so articulately as you oh, have. Stop. Um, but it's, it's like this, the sovereignty of God. Yeah. Uh, I sort of always forget about that. But actually, even from the Levite mother who, I mean, God-fearing woman is letting go of her child, yeah. trusting in the sovereignty of God. Yeah. I mean, it's like I struggle to let go of my children. Go, go to, to school. school. <laughs> yeah. um, but there, that's a real challenge to be like, do you know what? I'm going to place my child mm. into your hands yeah um anyway before we get and we can only assume that that was like a holy spirit inspired thing to do yeah a bit like like noah building the ark you know it's like so bizarre but she obviously feels such a strong sense of conviction right even she says when she saw that he was a fine child interesting you know we that's the language that we read but who knows like what that actually means like what did what she see because all mothers think that their children are fine (laughs) but there must have been something that she saw on him right yeah right yeah. Something, yeah. That she anyway. knew, yeah. Um, so there, there. We meet, we meet Miriam. She's very young at this moment, yeah. and it really triggered our thinking around the younger generation. Yes, we're both mothers of daughters, well, of children, of multiple children. Too, too many. No, not too many children. <laughs> I love our children, um, all of them. Um, we're pastors of younger people, mm. um, and. We just really, in sort of encountering Miriam at this point in the scriptures, we just felt this like real awakening again about our responsibility now as older, as let's go with older, older people, older leaders in seeing the younger generation raised up. And so we've just drawn out three things about Miriam that I think is really important for us as we think about the younger generation. And the first thing is she's watching. Yeah. Like it says in the scripture, her sister, remembering she's like five, six or seven, her sister, his sister, sorry, Moses' sister stood at a distance to see what would happen. Like she is watching on. And let's again remember, Miriam has watched her mum bundle Moses up, create this basket and pop Mm. him on the river. Yeah. Like this is unusual. Yeah. Oh, I like to think, sorry, I'm getting excited. I just, I like to think that in her watching of her, whatever, six, seven years, um, even the anticipation, you know, of what, where this might lead. Mm. It's like perhaps even that she's watched her mum with the faith of a God-fearing woman, you know, a Levite woman. Maybe she knows there's something that's going to happen. So she's watching. It's like the faith was already in her to see what, God might do or you know what I mean or where this might go it just occurred to me we don't know what conversation might have happened between her mum and Miriam you know did did her mum say yeah you go and wait by the river and watch Uh, we don't know I mean that's an assumption but yeah I like there's something yeah we we like that (laughs) though Tim always says assumption makes an ass out of me and you (laughs) yeah it's very wise words yeah thanks so we'll not make too many assumptions but there is something divine basically yeah. going on here isn't yeah. there and so i guess the point is she's watching yes. and the younger generation are watching, watching us. us absolutely and we need to take that responsibility really seriously like how what are we modeling mm. about faith what are we modeling about character what are we modeling about leadership yeah. to the younger generation because they are metaphorically standing on the side of the river watching watching, yeah. watching to see what would happen mm. and i I'm super aware of this as a mum, yeah. as a biological mum, as an adopted mum, as a pastor. 
that our actions really count. Yeah. You know, we yeah. we set the tone. Yeah. We set the example, whether we like it or not. And of course, you don't need to be a pastor. You don't need to be a mother. But mm. we should all yeah. have younger people in our lives mm. that we are wanting to yeah. disciple yeah. and influence. And we need to take that seriously. I think that's really good. And I think... I was just remi- I was just reminded of because obviously we're we're we are mums but we are all mothers right yeah. to to the next generation yeah um, but even I was talking about how do you you know talking to somebody wise how do you how do you make your children or how do you disciple your children to become followers of Jesus yeah. and she said honestly the best thing you can do is show them with your life that you mean it live it out that yeah. that you believe that Jesus is real and that He's with you all the time yeah. that is the best thing that you can do for your children. And I just love this story that I know I'm assuming a lot, but I just love the fact that she, she's the Levite woman. There's, this is such a faith that I mean, she's going against the authority. She's yeah, going against the powers wow. of the time. This is a faith moment. And yeah. Miriam is, this is the inheritance of her mother. Well, that's right. She's drawn into it. And I think that's another thing is, I'm really conscious of that with my own kids, that how much am I drawing yeah, it, them really into good. those mm. faith moments of like, like I, I don't know what the outcome's going to be, yeah. but I'm putting my trust in God yeah. and I want to draw you into that story. Yeah. And of course, we know how this story ends, but it, it might not have ended in that way. Mm. And so it's trusting that even if we don't we talk about this a lot even if we yeah. don't get the outcome mm. that we're praying for hoping for are we prepared to take our children on that journey and interestingly thinking about adoption for us mm. one of the big things that i remember when we were going through the training and and the approval process was our own biological children because because we adopted through early permanence essentially you absorb the risk you you yeah. foster a, a very little child uh, our little girl was three weeks old when she came home to us and essentially through early permanence you kind of absorb all the unknowns of what might happen mm. in the sense that there are no guarantees that that little one will stay with you and go on to be adopted although it's highly highly likely and I remember one of the big pushbacks that we got not just from social services but from others was how are you going to take your biological children on that journey with you yeah like almost that um if it didn't work out that might be a terrible disaster for them and I'm not again I'm not wanting to sort of um minimize Mm. how hard that would have been and there will be other parents that have had to journey through real grief and loss with their biological children for lots of different reasons but I think that was it we Mm. both Tim and I came to the conclusion Mm. that we had to be prepared to go on this faith journey with them. Yeah. And if our little girl, which is unimaginable now, yeah, didn't stay with us, yeah. we would just have to be ready yeah. to take them through the confusion and the grief of that loss. Yeah. And and actually help them process that along with our own grief and loss. Yeah. And I think sometimes we can maybe be overprotective. I agree. That we're like, well, what if it doesn't work out? And therefore, let's shield our children from it. Let's keep them out of the story in case we don't get the bow, which is your little phrase. And maybe maybe what this shows us is 
we can draw our children in. Yeah. I hear, I've definitely have heard of people who um, who might be lacking in um, provision or money, but bringing their children into praying That's over it. the dinner table or whoever, you know, saying, yeah. hey, we're going to pray that God, and it's a risk, yep. isn't it? Because you're like, what if he doesn't deliver? But actually yeah. there is, and sure, sometimes he'll deliver in different ways yeah. and other times he'll deliver with what you've asked, you know. Yeah. But actually for them to then reap that as well as being, uh, you know, open to the risk of it coming another way. Yeah. Um, yeah, I really agree with you. And how amazing for our children when they witness yeah. God deliver, God come through. Watching that it's real. Watching right? that, that he's, he's real, real, that he's faithful. <laughs> exactly. Okay, so that was the first yeah. thing um, that, yeah. that, that Miriam's watch, watching. Mm. But also she's smart. Yeah. And again, thinking about our responsibility to the younger generation, again, she's like, she is a young child, but she's smart. She's yeah. like quick off the mark. Yeah. Her instincts were really good. God, ultimately God uses her. And I think. Yes. We underestimate. We un yeah, go on. Yeah, no, that's right. We underestimate. We underestimate. We <laughs> underestimate what, um, that God wants to use children in profound ways. And mm. I think we can put a cap on it. Um, I remember even, I mean, I'm obviously biased because I love my children. Your children are awesome yeah, as well. Yeah, yours are too. Um, no, yours are. <laughs> <laughs> but one of my children, I um, I regularly ask her for her insight. Yeah. And she, if I need to, if I'm struggling to make a decision or something, and I'll make it like a uh, in a way that she can understand. But she comes back mm. with the most like profound wisdom um, because I believe that God can speak through her. And I think I've been really learning that, that actually why wouldn't God speak profoundly through the mind of a child? Absolutely. And we'll go on to perhaps <laughs> how we can learn from Miriam as yeah. well. Yeah, well, I think that that naturally flows in. Well, also, I think for us with The Orchard, we launched the youth stream yeah. last year. Yeah. Um, we're going to be doing it again, little plug. So if you're a youth leader or a parent, um, do get your young person along. Um, do get your young person along to uh, to the Orchard Youth Stream because uh, we, again, it's just part of what I think it looks like for us to invest in the next generation. Yeah. That, that uh, you know, we've, we've got to take Absolutely. responsibility. Yeah, yeah. Um, so... She's watching. She's smart, yeah. but she also has childlike faith. And again, this is a, this is a, I guess something that we can learn from Miriam as we look to how yeah. God uses her. It's just that she comes as a child. I love that she's standing. She's watching. Um, she sees that. Oh, hang on, this lady has picked Moses out of the water. I've got. A, I can solve this. And so, yes. without without hesitation, she's jumping in there. I mean, and and it's childlike, yeah, because it's not thought through. It's not where's the strategic plan. You know, it's like I could die. Yeah, <laughs> doesn't even cross her mind. Yeah. You know, or maybe it does. Who knows? But there's a childlike uh, sort of naivety. Naivety really, is yeah. exactly the word. Um, anyway, I just feel like the Lord's been speaking to me a lot about. Um, Coming as a child and coming yeah. as a child pleases him. Mm. As even reading like, um, you know, Solomon's plea when he um, be becomes king after David and his first words are, I am but a child. Mm. I cannot do these duties. And the response of God is that pleases God when we come to him as a child. Yeah. Um, and we learn from Miriam that actually yeah. perhaps we need to be a little bit more Child Naive, like. in a sense. <laughs> Just trusting. Yeah. 
that it's all going to be all right. I remember actually a good friend of mine is um, a wo- an amazing woman called Ness Wilson, and she leads a church in Loughborough. She also leads a network of churches, um, and some of you listening will know her. And she's awesome. And I remember her giving this talk years ago, like probably twenty years ago, and she was talking about how she planted a church like in her early twenties. Yeah, again as a woman, amazing. And this was this was like probably 30 years ago. Mm. Oh, maybe I'm aging Ness. Sorry if you're <laughs> listening to this. But it was a long time ago uh, where there were very few women planting churches. Mm. And and she said, um, you know, there was there was quite a lot of, oh, really? Is, mm. is that such a good idea? And, and, and people would say, oh, you're so naive, you know, because they, you know, she was wide-eyed, yeah. you know, in her early 20s. Anything is possible. God can do anything. Why not? Yeah. And I remember when she gave this talk a couple of years, however many years ago, mm. she said, you know what? I would rather be naive than cynical. I love that. I think when it comes to chasing after the kingdom, yep. I think God can deal with our naivety much more than he can work with our cynicism. Mm. And I've never forgotten that. Yeah. That, you know what? I'd rather be naive than cynical. Yeah. And here we see, yeah. uh, she's so naive. I mean, yeah. it's so audacious, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, shall I, shall I get this yeah. Hebrew woman to yeah. nurse her? Yeah. And she doesn't second guess herself. Yeah. Like, that is a crazy suggestion, and yet it works. And again, once again, yeah. that little suggestion mm. is absolutely we cannot even underestimate or underplay how utterly instrumental or catalytic your word that little suggestion is in the story of god because it leads to moses you know basically being saved which then saves the people which is a foreshadowing of anyway we could go on it's like the child it's like the childlike uh, a childlike heart, there's room for him to move. I think when so you true. become, I don't know, like you begin as an adult or an adult inverted commas, we can actually then just control and squish and we see things in a view that we think is God's view. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> and it's like, actually, what if we just trusted a bit more? Yeah. And stop putting sort of confines and parameters around things in the sense. Okay, so we're going to jump onto part two. Exodus 15 is when we meet Miriam next. She's grown up. And again, bit of context for lots of you listening. This story will be very familiar. But um, basically, we've had the plagues. Mero, Mero, <laughs> Pharaoh, Mero. <laughs> Pharaoh has agreed to let the people go. Yeah. Although then his heart's hardened, etc. So they've, they're at the Red Sea. The Israelite people have escaped Egypt. They're thinking, how on earth are we going to get through the Red Sea? And then, of course, God does this incredible miracle. The Red Sea's parted, led by Moses and Miriam. The people cross the bed, the seabed of the Red Sea. I mean, that must have been utterly phenomenal. I was just reading about that the other day. Like, utterly phenomenal. They cross over. They... uh, enter onto the dry land and then all Pharaoh's chariots and horsemen who have chased after them uh, are then basically drowned in the sea. The, the sea then closes up. They're drowned in the sea. And then what we see in Exodus 15 is this song, mm. this song by Moses and Miriam. Mm. And we were laughing because <laughs> Moses basically gets like this load that loads like 
loads of lines and then Miriam has like four little lines at the end but she has her tambourine yeah she has like and that we're like laughing like yeah. imagine like a school play and you're looking at the script and it's like <laughs> hang on a minute, Mo Moses has loads of lines and I've only got four but I've got a tambourine I've got a tambourine <laughs> yeah we actually we think her tambourine is oh, quite yeah. significant so we're going to come yeah. on to that in a minute mm. and so essentially there's Miriam mm. leading the people mm. in worship. Yeah. And in the script in, in the scriptures it obviously start verse if you're in chapter 15 it does start with Moses's song. But actually we think if you read um, from 19 it, it, it before it introduces Miriam's song it says that straight after mm. um, the the chariots and the horses were um, you know covered by the sea the defeated then she leads into worship it's like a response yeah and yeah. so actually it's like she led them straight out of that moment into worship and mm. I think ultimately she acknowledges God's mighty hand how I picture it is yeah. that this you know this incredible supernatural powerful moment has taken place and I'm like you, how can you not be on your knees, yeah. right? Being like, flip, you know, you are mighty. You are incredible, God. And it feels to me that this is this overwhelming response from mm. Miriam that then that then the people follow in, as yeah. opposed to she's like, okay, now we're here. We're gonna we're gonna yeah, gather a worship. We're yeah. gonna have a worship <laughs> session. It's like yeah. no, it's her response. An overflow leads the uh, you know the others then follow her in that response. Well, that's what it says, doesn't it? All the women followed her. Love it. That she um, her worship is essentially is leadership. Yes. That she then triggers them to follow suit. I think it also speaks into her high esteem, that she's clearly held in really high esteem in the community. She's looked upon, isn't she? She's looked up yeah. to, yeah. That yeah. There's clearly leadership on her. Um, we know that she's a prophetess. We're going to come to that in a minute. But she's the one that leads the way in acknowledging oh, God's mighty power. It. She's also acknowledging the defeat of the enemy because those four lines that she sings talk specifically about how the chariots and the horsemen are, are covered by the sea. And it, again, it's like her acknowledging mm. God's defeat of this powerful, powerful enemy. And again, we cannot underestimate yeah. in their minds at that time, Pharaoh yes. and his armies were like insanely powerful. Yeah. Like insanely powerful. It's a bit of a sort of a David and Goliath scenario that humanly speaking, mm. they didn't stand a chance yeah. a great against Pharaoh and and his men. And yet it can only be God. Like this yeah, this exactly. as you said, this supernatural event takes place and the enemy is defeated. And of course what we know is the Israelites escaping slavery, being brought into the promised promised land is this foreshadowing mm of what Jesus the does, enemy. the yes. ultimate defeat of the enemy, mm. Jesus's ultimate victory, which leads us out of slavery to sin and into the the wide open space of salvation, yeah. sanctification, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. So um, yeah. an incredible moment that there we have this woman, Miriam, who is leading us mm. into the acknowledgement yeah. of defeat over the victory, God's mighty power yeah. and worship yeah. and and worship maybe we should stay in that just the worship for a moment yeah because i i do um because obviously you you speak about a foreshadowing it's right and that actually we're now we're through the promised land we're right? in it yeah. yeah through um sorry we're through the red sea uh because of jesus has defeated the ultimate enemy and i do think it is a challenge to us isn't it that yeah. worship 
is worship our number one response? Yeah. Uh, it's a challenge. Yeah. Because we're called to worship him. That's our number one. Full the, stop. The first, the first command, isn't it? Um, and yet it's so easy to make being following Jesus about so many other things. Yeah. And we've talked about this in previous episodes around how devotion has to be the starting point, doesn't it? That uh, which episode was yeah. it? I think it's Mary, where we talked about encounter leads to devotion, yeah. devotion leads to obedience, yeah, obedience exactly. leads to legacy. It's like devotion is the superpower. Yes, yes, that's right. We think that all the you know being able to do or all this other stuff is the stuff, but yeah. actually all of that Comes stuff out. Yeah. flows out of devotion. That was a lot of stuff in one <laughs> sentence. But actually, this is where I the tambourine this. thing is significant yes. because what what I was saying to Amy. If I was, if I was Miriam, and word goes round, Pharaoh has set the people free. Grab your stuff. We're out of here. Like we have a window. Mm. Pharaoh has given us permission to leave. We all know because we know Pharaoh that he could change his mind at any point. Get up, grab your stuff, go. We're out of here. And there's this literally this mass exodus. Hence the name of the book. And what's fascinating to me is that Miriam grabs her tambourine. <laughs> like, I would have been so practical. Yeah. I don't probably, I don't. But she you grabs. You'd have got your a, mascara. I'd surely. have got my mascara. <laughs> yeah, definitely my mascara. I'd have just, you know, I'd have packed like my potato peeler or something. <laughs> really practical. But she grabs her tambourine. Oh, and. Okay, maybe we're using a little poetic license here. Yeah. But even if we're just talking metaphorically, I love it. the tambourine is representative of worship. Mm. And the fact that her first priority, she drags that blinking tambourine <laughs> out of Egypt, however long the journey is towards the Red Sea, she drags that tambourine across the Red Sea and it's there, it's ready for her to lead in this worship moment. Mm. And I just think I that's amazing. Even I if there's a little bit of poetic license. Yeah. How symbolic. Yeah. But it's like the the all I have is worth that's all I have is worship. Yeah. And I just wonder that's a challenge, yeah. isn't it, to us all? But really is the one thing. Are we longing to be in the presence of God? Yeah. Uh, like we read in the Psalms, you know. And um, I think one of the things we go around with our work, with our leadership team is, again, that tension between kind of mission and worship. And yeah. for us as a church, we firmly believe that we, we're trying to navigate the tension between both. That, that actually, you, as Christians, we can sometimes sort of sit in one camp or the other. Mm. And, you know, the, 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 the missional Christians yeah. are like, oh, stop yeah. wasting your time, yeah, yeah. you know, worshipping. We're going to get out there and tell people about Jesus and help the poor. And that's absolutely true. Yeah. And yet we're also called to waste our time. Yeah, being with him. Being with him, just yeah. being in worship, yeah. de devoting ourselves yeah. to him. And I think even creativity comes yeah. into this. That, that Again, so often we can see creativity as slightly yeah. indulgent. Yeah. You know, like she could have grabbed something slightly more practical, but yeah. she grabs a tambourine, yeah. which is mm. it's purely an expression it's of her song or her music. Yeah. But it, the place of song, mm. of music, of creativity in the story of God yeah. is so clear. Yeah. It's so important. I love it. And it's just... The thing that is in my mind is just, it's so simple. Yeah. Isn't it? The simple purity of a tambourine. 
before yeah. the Lord. But, you know, it, there's this beautiful simplicity. And I think sometimes we make following Jesus so flipping complicated. Yeah. And he's like, just give me yourself. Grab your tambourine. <laughs> sing me a song. They're on sale. We're going to have them at mer I merch. Know. No, please, no. No, please, no. Let's not go back. <laughs> Was it? I'm thinking, is it 1980s, oh, 1990s, if you're old enough to remember the tambourine days? I mean, you couldn't get through a worship set when I was a child without somebody <laughs> cracking out the tambourine. <laughs> Don't see tambourines so much Maybe these days. Maybe they're going to come back. Maybe they're going to come back. Do you remember the egg shaker? Yeah, love oh, the egg, the the egg rain, shaker. The rain, the rain stick. Oh, the rain my, the rain maker. <laughs> the rain stick. Oh, yeah. my days. Bring back the 90s worship. That's yeah. what I say. Yeah. Okay. But purity of worship. Purity Agree. of worship. So, part Bring three. This is the third and final time that we meet Mer Miriam. Um, and it's numbers 12. Yeah. Oh, and this one's yeah. interesting. This is actually probably a lesser known moment with Miriam. Spent um, a bit of time chewing on this, didn't we? We did. We mm. had to really chew over this mm. because it's quite confronting. And um, again, like quite a bit of the Old Testament, we have to remember that when we're reading the Old Testament, we are reading pre-Jesus. This is pre-redemption, pre-the cross, pre-the resurrection. Um, it's also... Uh, a misogynistic slash, well, that maybe is harsh. It's it's a patriarchal society, let's put it that way. Uh, and so we've got to read through that lens. And of course, the people, the characters, the heroes of the faith that we come across in the Old Testament, they are not perfect. They're not there as sort of these model uh, people of faith. Yes, they exercise extraordinary faith on many occasions, but they are not perfect. Mm. And I think it's so important that we hold that intention that just because some of these people in the Old Testament do stuff does not mean that we then have license to do it because they did it or that it's right. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Uh, and so we're in Numbers 12. And essentially, again, the, the Israelites, they're in the wilderness. Moses is God's chosen leader, and of course they spent 40 years in the wilderness, so they're there quite a while. And what we see is Miriam and Aaron, who are Moses' um, siblings, actually his older siblings, no, Aaron's younger, or right? Aaron, do you say Aaron? Aaron. Oh, Aaron or Aaron. Aaron. Mm. Oh, keep your air on. Oh, <laughs> good. <laughs> Did you it's just old, make that I know I didn't. It's an old joke. Oh, oh you can have dear. that for free. Um, they basically express their anger about Moses's decision to marry this Cushite woman, woman. And it's important to say that there are a number of different theories about why they believe Moses's decision to marry this Cushite woman is wrong. And we're not going to go into different ones of those theories. I would encourage anyone to have a look at them because it is interesting. One strong theory is that this is to do with the color of her skin, that, that there's a race issue going on here. Uh, and that, that could well be part of what's going on here it could be the fact that he's married somebody outside of the tribe you know the tribes uh he's marrying a foreigner essentially yeah. that could be their beef it could be that she's his second wife we don't actually know necessarily whether this Kushite woman is also Zipporah his first wife we're not sure mm. so it could be that he's marrying a second wife and they have a, a problem with that and anyway, some sort of fear-based uh, moral superior yeah. yeah there's something going on yeah but where we've landed, even though there is those theories are worth exploring, I would suggest, where we've landed is we wonder if the whole Kushite women thing is a bit of a racket, 
Now, you might be thinking, what do we mean by racket? Um, and this is some training that we've done that's been really helpful in sort of helping understand ourselves. Our and essentially, <laughs> a racket is, if you imagine like, um, I think it's in 1920s America, you would, where there was, uh, I've probably got my dates all wrong, but <laughs> essentially on, where there was prohibition, where you couldn't have alcohol, you'd get shop shops that looked like a shop front from the outside and then out the back was essentially like the real business yeah like drinking smoking everything that was yeah you know illegal at the time and so a racket humanly speaking is a complaint that we present that is actually just a cover-up for something else mm. and so our take whether this is what we're going with is that the whole Kushite woman thing is potentially a bit of a racket. It's a bit of a front that actually the sort of the moral judgment they have towards Moses is really a bit of a racket. It's a front when actually the real issue is pride. And it says Miriam and Aaron, be Aaron began to talk against Moses because of his Kushite wife. Mm. And then they go on to say, hasn't he also, also spoken through us, i.e. God? Hasn't God also spoken through us? Mm. And then it says the Lord heard this. Mm. And essentially, we're wondering if the real issue here is that they're a bit jealous of Moses, <laughs> that they are feeling a bit prideful in this moment. Well, they're sort of saying, we're as important as Moses. <laughs> Maybe perhaps there is that sense that everyone's listening to him. And it's like, well, hang on. You know, he's doing these things that we disprove of. I'm, we're equally as important, you know, it's that kind of sense, isn't it, as you read it? Absolutely. And so perhaps because what we go on to read is that, that God has a very strong response to this. And perhaps the reason that God responds, it, again, it's not really about the Cushite woman necessarily, but it's about yeah. The, yeah. the motives, the motives that Miriam and Aaron have at this point. Yeah, it, it's like God's going after the pride, right? Yes. As opposed to whether he's going to tell them that the Cushite choice was right or not well, it's not yeah. about that he's like hang on you're playing god effectively you're playing my job you you're know, sitting in you're the seat, seat of judgment yeah, sitting in the seat of judgment you're you're uh you're sort of squabbling amongst yourselves of who god speaks through and who he doesn't and what we hear or what we learn is that this seriously angers it says my the lord's Anger burned towards them. Um, but we see this, don't we? Throughout the, anyone who sits in the place of God, idolatry, it's all about one, you know, it's all about having other masters, worshipping other gods. It's like this, this is, this is sort of the, the thing that makes God the most angry because it ruins our lives. Yeah, when we try to play God, that's right. I Absolutely. And I think, I think what what we were also reflecting on is that that Moses is really humble. Yeah. In fact, again, that's why we sort of ended up making this assumption again, <laughs> is that the very next thing that God says, yeah. or sorry, the very th next thing that the scripture says is that mm. Moses was very humble. Mm. In fact, it says he's the most humble person on earth at that point. And so it's almost like we're being drawn towards... Moses' humility, Moses' faithfulness, 
and therefore it sort of holds a light mm. against mm. perhaps Miriam and Aaron's pride at this point by contrast mm. uh, and so I guess also it's it's highlighting that that Moses has a special yeah. he really does have an a, a uniquely special relationship with mm. God God he. is using him in a uniquely special way at this point in the story of God yeah. and and again we've said this before in podcasts that Obedience isn't fair. We're all called to different things. And from the outside, it can seem unfair that certain people have different weights mm. of responsibility or are called to different things or are given different earthly rewards, let's say. If yeah. We can frame it in that way. And the minute we start to think that obedience has to look really, really fair, yeah. we're only going to end up yeah. jealous, yeah. disappointed, maybe prideful. Yeah. And... And what we have to remember is that, yes, Moses has this special relationship with God, but he also has a extremely heavy weight of responsibility yeah. to yeah. carry. And this is what the Lord is, I mean, effectively is saying, isn't it? I mean, he, the mercy of God is actually, he calls Aaron and uh, Miriam to himself yeah. and, to, and sort of explains to them yes. what's going on. Um, and sort of say, and particularly speaking to Miriam, which we'll go on to, but speaking to Miriam as a prophet, as a prophetess, she is a prophetess. Um, and he's then saying, you know, in, in verse um, six, when there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, reveal myself to them in visions, you know, speaking to Miriam, I reveal myself and I speak to them in dreams. Um, but this isn't true of my servant, Moses. He's faithful in my house. With him, I speak face to face. Um, and so it is like this. It's like I will speak to who I want to speak to in whatever way I want to speak to. And it's like you back down because this is my story um, and I am God. And yeah. I just, again, think it's a good warning to yeah. us that we play judge or, you know, I can flip of like who, how does God speak and whom he speaks through? It's like, surely that can't be God because, you know, yeah. um, and although you are, although he is faithful and he's humble, which is so key to yeah. hearing the voice of God. He's got good character. Really yeah. good character. So it's not discounting that, but it's also who are we to say yeah. um, how God will, wants to reveal himself. And I think the reason, again, we have to remember because we're dealing with God's anger here. Yeah. We, and that's, again, it's, we, have to, we have to, I guess, handle that carefully because, again, we're pre-Jesus, we're pre-the cross, we're pre-the resurrection. And the reason God's angry, the reason God hates this sin of putting ourselves in the seat of God is because it's not good for us. Yeah. And I think we forget that, that the only reason God responds so viscerally mm. to their sin mm. is because of what it does to yeah. us. It's because he loves us. Mm. It's because he cares for us. It's his mercy that it's he gives us so many chances. Absolutely. What, yeah. Ultimately, it's his mercy. And so what we see is that God deals with the sin and mm. Miriam is basically expelled from the camp, isn't she? And she's made leprous. I yeah. mean, it's, it's pretty hard reading through the lens of 21st century Birmingham, mm. let's say. Mm. But this is a consequence of her sin. And we also ask the question, why yeah. Miriam and not Miriam and Aaron? Yeah. And we wondered if it was to do with 
the gift of prophecy that she has. She is named a prophetess, and God takes that extremely seriously. Or that she's the older sibling. She could be older, you know, yeah. Other. Almost it's like actually the fact that she's the one that is mm. given the consequence mm. is almost an affirmation of her yeah. position, her leadership, yeah. her position, the way mm. that people do look to her potentially. Yeah. And then, of course, what we see is Moses prays for Miriam. Yeah. This oh, is my, my faith. I mean, oh, Moses. I mean... It's how humble, you know, he says he's, it says here, doesn't it, that you, you've said it already, but he's the humblest person to ha to be on the face of the earth. Wow, yeah. Can you imagine someone, or God saying that, yeah. <laughs> but saying that about you. Yeah. Um, but this is a straight away a fruit of his humility, yeah. which is saying he's calling upon the mercy of God. He knows God's merciful and he's calling upon, he's interceding and saying, please heal her. You know, please heal her. Mm. Um, and sure enough, um, he gives, it's a, sh it's a shorter punishment, isn't it? Than yeah. what was um, effectively initially given. Yeah. So, and, and actually, again, with Moses praying for her, she's the one that's done Moses wrong. I know. That's, it, it, does, it does reveal his humility, doesn't yeah. it? That yeah. even though Miriam's gone around essentially undermining his leadership, Making his life more difficult. Yeah. I think we all, we've all experienced that. Yeah. And being jealous. I think we didn't really talk about jealousy, but, you know, yeah, yes. she's ultimately jealous of his gifting or his ability to hear God. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then, of course, ultimately, it points us back to the cross, the power of the cross, that we don't live under the weight of the consequence of our sin, yeah. that Jesus has taken the consequence of our sin on himself at the cross, defeated death. And so I just think that's an amazing yeah. place to end. That yeah, in you, reading, Jesus. even though it's hard reading because we're projecting through our own lenses, yeah. what, it, what it should do is lead us to a place of deep gratitude for what Jesus has done for us. Because our sin should lead yeah. to the... Our sin is yeah. wrong. Because it, he's a righteous he's God. He's a righteous God. Yes. But we are covered by the blood of yeah. Jesus. Amazing. That our our sin doesn't carry the same consequence anymore. Mm. Wowzers. Mm. That's awesome. Yeah. Be covered in the blood of Jesus Love it. today. Love it. Amen. Amen. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Follow us on socials at The Orchard Women to find out more about everything coming up.